What are today's top fraud risks, and what are the best ways to fight them? Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking about fraud today with James Ratley, the President of the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. Jim, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, you're welcome, Tom. Pleasure to be here. To start out, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your own experience with fraud fighting, please. Well, I just happened into the fraud fighting experience. I was a Dallas police officer for 15 years, and at that time we had about 2,300 members of the department. And as far as I know, I was the only one that had an accounting degree. And as a result, any time we would have any type of reported crime that had a dollar sign in front of it, uh, they would usually pull me off either on a task force or just uh, pull me off whatever job I was working on work that case, and I wasn't that happy about it. Um, I was in line to go to the homicide division and got pulled off on a major task force for a fraud, and at the time, you have to understand, there was no term such as fraud examiner, and nobody really gave much attention to fraud, and um, of course, that's changed over the years. Jim, as you know, the, the news these days is just rife with fraud incidents, when you look around globally, what do you see as the top fraud risks to organizations of all types? Well, the, I think the top fraud risk to the organizations is fraud has become so massive. One of the things when I first started working fraud cases, we talked to most frauds in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And if you, if you got anything close to a million dollars, you were, you had a massive fraud. Um, today's market, nobody really pays much attention to anything that is not in the millions or even even in the billions today. Um, so it's and the plus with the computer identity fraud, uh, you know, it's so much easier to steal with the computer. When you look at the different regions of the globe, how do you see the fraud threats and risk differing globally, if they do at all? You know, Tom, I think that has been the main surprise. I, uh, I'm one of the founders of the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, and um, at that time I'd not done a lot of international traveling. Since that time, I've put almost 3 million miles on an airplane going all over the world. And a number of things have been quite surprising about that. In um, Hong Kong, they have the same fraud problems that we have here in the United States. And I think the, the most shocking factor to it is any place I've been in the world, people react the exact same as we do here in the United States. The fraud perpetrators use the same excuses. The, they perpetrate the fraud through the same methods and same techniques. Managers all react the same. One of the things you'll find with fraud is it's an adversarial position for the fraud examiner because nobody wants there to have been a fraud and everybody wants there to be a reasonable explanation for it. So oftentimes the fraud examiner will find themselves at a crossroads even with their own managers because everyone's trying to explain away the person's actions. Well, that's a good transition to my next question, which is about the profession of fraud examination. How's the profession evolved from the types of incidents that you've seen in recent times? Well, as we started the association in 1988, 
And at that time, the term fraud examiner was never used and it didn't exist. And what fraud was just whoever happened to be in the office that day got, got assigned to the fraud case. They didn't have specific training for it or special training for it. And about that time, law enforcement became so overwhelmed that they were off, were unable to offer even the most basic assistance in the fraud examination. So it became the responsibility of the, in a lot of cases, the internal auditor or the security department. And you know, there were no set standards. There were no set investigative techniques. And you had a wide variety of the way these cases were handled. And as a result, oftentimes, absolutely nothing was done. And when something was done, you would see. I'm, I'm familiar with one woman back during that period that stole $10 million and served nine months in jail for it. So there was just a wide disparity in the way that these cases were handled and the punishment the way it was, was dealt with. But the majority of the time, nothing happened. And then over time, fraud became so expensive that people were forced to deal with it. And that's what we're seeing today. And you know, we've seen in the last several years the devastating impact that fraud can have on the innocent bystanders and the they lose their retirement, they lose their job, all in, within a 24-hour period. Jim, given how the profession has evolved, how would you describe the fraud examiner's main responsibilities today? Well, I have seen in the last probably five to seven years a big transition there. At one time, early in, in my days with the association, you couldn't get anyone to to listen to you when you talked about fraud prevention. Uh, nobody was interested in that because, in effect, you were spending money on a negative. You didn't see any direct results. It didn't generate any revenue. And as a result, nobody was interested in what it took to prevent fraud. And over the last five to seven years, that has done a complete 180-degree turn. Uh, now... You've got risk assessment people. They come in and they look for the vulnerable areas. Um, people are doing background checks. They're doing everything they can to prevent it before it starts. And um, and it's effective, too, and it's working for them. And the more that it works, the more diligent they are in, in trying to prevent it before it ever starts. You see hotlines now where when hotlines first became available, many of the companies didn't want them. They called them snitch lines. You know, they looked at them as problematic. And now you can't find a major corporation or an active business that does not have some type of reporting system. And and the, the ones that don't have the reporting system are dinosaurs. Jim, as you say, when you got into the profession, all you needed was your experience in law enforcement, and you were the guy in the office that had a, an acumen for numbers. What are the necessary skills today for someone that wants to be a fraud examiner? Well, first off, Tom, fraud, the fraud examination field is a profession unto itself. And so many times in the early days, I saw people that, um, didn't do fraud examination for a living. They actually didn't have any interest in it. They were given a responsibility of, of conducting a fraud examination. But fraud
Fraud is such a pervasive problem. First off, there are, there are specific techniques that you have to know. I mean, you can't take um, an auditor and say, go examine a fraud. They've got to be trained as to how to do that. But it's so pervasive in our system, I don't know any one fraud examiner that has every skill that a fraud examiner needs. You've got the forensic IT aspect of it, the ability to go back in and pull a, the information off the computer and show um, case in point this Casey Anthony case. The mother claimed she had looked on the Internet for chloroform. Forensic IT, IT people came in and showed that that happened during a certain time when mother was not even in the house. And, and so obviously she didn't do it at the time that she said she did. Um, but you've got also the legal aspect of it. You know, how far can we go in pulling information off these computers? Then you've got the financial aspect of fraud. Uh, oftentimes they're complex financial transactions. And, and then you've got what I call the backbone of the fraud examination field, the investigative skills that you need, the ability to conduct an interview. And um, you know, I run across fraud examiners today that have never had formal interview training. And, and what you find is the, the untrained interviewer can be successful about 65% of the time. You know, you take a trained interviewer, they're successful about 95% of the time. But you've got the document collection skills. So there's, there's just a wide variety of skills that are necessary to be able to do this job. And that's why more and more of what you're seeing, Tom, people coming together as a team, and you'll have a fraud examination team that'll be there uh, just to encompass all the skills that you need. Jim, what types of career opportunities are there for fraud examiners today that they might not have been even just a few years ago? Oh, the, the field is exploding. Um, there are some tremendous opportunities available, both in the governmental sector and in the private sector. And uh, you know, we, we get calls daily from people that are mid-career that want to change and, and into their, want to enter into the fraud examination profession. But another thing that we have found is we've got over 400 universities now that are teaching fraud examination courses offered by the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. We've got um, 20 some odd student chapters. We even have one in Turkey. So more and more the fraud examination field is, is being a draw to our college students and younger people that want to come into the profession. Final question for you, Jim. For someone that wants to enter the field today, whether it's to start a career or, as you described, to restart a career, what advice would you give to them? Well, I, get, I, I would, would say there are certain skills that you have to have. I mentioned earlier the forensic IT, the accounting, the legal. My advice there would be to to learn as many of those skills as you can. Right now, probably the uh, section most in demand is the forensic IT because, you know, as you're well aware, you can't do anything without using a computer. And more and more organizations are are using the computer evidence to uh, um, verify or, or prove deception in the fraud perpetrator's claims. But, you know, there are, are job, boundless jobs there, and you have to prepare yourself with the knowledge that these employers are needing. Yeah.
mid-career change people have the most difficult time because they are in a job that is usually paying a decent wage and they want to go into the fraud examination field unless they have the knowledge they're going to start at the bottom. My advice to them would be, you know, fraud is in every industry. Look at the industry in which they have their experience, their knowledge, and see how they can work in the fraud examination field in that industry. If they're an engineer, let them look at that that field. Uh, if they're in, the, you know, we have fraud examiners that are physicians, um, you know, in the medical field, you know, dealing with healthcare fraud. Well, Jim, it's excellent advice. I appreciate your time and your insight today. Well, thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, Hopefully we'll get a chance to talk in the future. I've been talking with James Ratley. He's the president of the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.